grab a seat. If you'd like, grab your notes out of your handout. We are continuing as we're going through this, uh, this series on the life of David. I do want to let you know, just like Pat mentioned, there's just one more week of our Summer of Connection time of service. We're having a service all together next Sunday. And then the week after that, Labor Day, we're going to go back to our fall hours. So we have 9.20 and 11 a.m. Some of you are excited. Some of you are not excited. I know how that goes. Um, but uh, here's the thing. We actually, just so you know, so you can be in prayer over this, we're able to serve almost a thousand more people every weekend when we offer the two services. It's just amazing how that works. A couple of different opportunities for folks to come in. It also is an amazing way for us to, to not only, uh, it's to facilitate our volunteer livelihoods, right? The, the, the way in which all of our hundreds of volunteers are able to serve at one hour and then come and worship one hour. And uh, hopefully if you've not yet jumped into that, we would invite you to do that this fall, that you would serve an hour and then worship an hour and, and, and just helps kind of the whole lifeblood of the church. So as you're thinking about Overlake, as you're praying for Overlake, God brings Overlake to mind, please pray that the momentum and the excitement of the Summer of Connection will continue to roll forth into the fall. Very, very excited about that. But that doesn't happen next week, friends. That happens on Labor Day. Okay. Can you just say that with me? Labor Day. That's when we go back to the two services, 9.20 and 11 a.m. And uh, some of you are saying amen, and some of you are saying, oh, man. Uh, but either way, uh, that's, how, that's how it's going to roll. So we've been talking about David and the life of David all summer long. It's an epic life. It, it's larger than life, sometimes revealing to us the very character and nature of God, and at other times revealing to us the very fallenness of man, but giving us a clear picture of what it looks like to be flesh and blood, to have feet of clay, a human being who's enamored by the Lord like a moth to the light, a man after God's own heart. And today, in, in many ways, it, we're going to wrap up his life. We're going to actually talk about what happens at the end of his life and, and, and truly the legacy that he leaves behind. So, so let's jump into this. This is from 2 Samuel 23. It says, these are the last words of David. Could you just circle that? Last words. Think about that. The idea of a whole lifetime of service to the Lord, and, and these are his last words. The oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man, look at this, exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, Israel's singer of songs, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me, his word was on my tongue. That's so incredible when you think about that. The spirit of the Lord, he just recognizes God's spirit has been upon me. God's word has been on my tongue. It, it, recognizing that David was Israel's singer of songs. He was exalted and anointed. You've probably heard this phrase, the warrior poet of Israel. He had both strength and eloquence. He could wield a sword and a pen with equal dexterity. And he did this with great excellence, right? He delighted not only in worshiping God, but in hearing from God and obeying God as well. And so David leaves behind a legacy, and, and we want to look at his legacy as we consider the legacy that we are building as well. If you're filling in the blanks, the first one is this. Legacy builders find strength in God. They find their strength in God. We see this in David. David found his strength in God. This is a challenge for you and I, that we are to find our strength in the Lord. 
Let's look at 2 Samuel 22, verse 29 and following. These are David's words. He says to the Lord, You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. Now look at this. With your help, speaking to the Lord, with, with God's help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? Now look at this again. Here's strength. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. Friends, if there's one thing this passage shows, it's that David knew the source of his strength. He knew that his strength came from his rock, from his refuge, from the Lord, right? He knew that his strength came from God because he talks about, with God, I can stand against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. God arms my, my strength for battle, and he enables me to bend the bow of bronze. Like all of these scenarios that David had been in through the course of his kingship, he recognizes the source of his strength is the Lord. It's great for us to be reminded of that as well. And not only is God the source of his strength, but one of the ways that God strengthens David, and we talk about this all the time, it's what our whole Summer of Connection is all about, is God strengthens David by bringing other people around David to strengthen him as well. And so you see at the very end of the story of David, there are these lists that talk about the mighty men of God that, that surrounded David. David's mighty men, the, the men, the generals, the warriors that God brought around David as a part of enabling David to do what it was that David was called to do. You know, the work of David, by the way, was called in so many ways to be the work of kingdom to be the work of expanding the kingdom, to be the work of governing the kingdom, defining the kingdom, ordering the kingdom, protecting the kingdom. And so David was going after all these pursuits, and as he did these things to the Lord, God brought these men around him to serve with him, to serve God by helping him in the work of kingdom. And I want you to understand that a lot of these men started serving David before David ever became king. So, so they were brought in loyalty to him, they were brought in friendship to him, and they had these, this long history of endeavors together. Let me just talk to you about a few of these. From 2 Samuel 23 is where you can read about all these powerful men who had come around David. Uh, the first here is the chief of sorts. His name is Josheb Bashabeth, and he killed 800 men in one battle encounter. And so for a soldier, that's a pretty good day at the office, right? You're doing a pretty good work. Eight, 800 guys uh, fall to your hand. The next guy mentioned is the name Eleazar, and he was with David when uh, they taunted the Philistines. So David and Eleazar taunt the Philistines and get into a fight. The whole Israel army flees, but Eleazar stays, and, and they fight with such dogged fierceness that his hand froze to his sword. In other words, he cramped up and he couldn't, you know, un uncurl his fingers. And, and the Israel army returns, but only after David and Eleazar have, have dispatched the entire Philistine army. Right? It's just this amazing story. Uh, the next name is mentioned, Shema. 
Shema got famous in the Battle of the Beans, which just sounds awesome to me. And I'm resisting a dad joke uh, right now. Uh, the next name is the name Abishai. This is the brother of General Joab. He killed 300 men in one battle setting. And that's not bad, but again, that's 500 less than his buddy, uh, you know, we just talked about. Uh, the next name is the name Benaniah. Look at this. Benaniah goes down into a pit on a snowy day to kill a lion. Benaniah killed a seven-foot-five tall Egyptian by knocking the spear out of his hand and then using the man's own weapon to dispatch him. Now, there's, and there's more stories in that chapter as well. And, and I, I bring these exploits up so that you see that individually, these guys were phenomenal. They were of mythic kind of quality and prowess. But together, rallied around the cause and the purpose of the king, they were unstoppable. And I love how this passage on David's mighty men is the passage that includes telling their stories, right? Telling the stories of their valor, telling the stories of their exploits. These are how they were known. These stories are the value that they added, their relationship and their connection with King David. So I want you to think for a moment about stories. Next year, next summer, I've already seen some chatter about this on Facebook. I have my 30-year high school reunion planned. Yeah, 30-year high school reunion next summer. And I can guarantee it will be a stroll down Amnesia Lane for sure. But I, I started thinking about that because I remember 10 years ago, I went to the 20-year reunion. And I, I remember reconnecting with a whole bunch of friends and buddies there. And, and, and it seemed to me a lot of the conversations were somewhat similar in terms of their formula. A lot of times what it was was we would begin to reconnect, uh, connect in terms of what the, my friends were doing and who they were married to, what their families were like, uh, how their careers were progressing, you know, kind of that kind of back and forth, just the circumstance of their life. And then inevitably the conversation would go back in time and we would begin to recount the experiences that we had together. So if it was football buddies, we'd talk about football. You know, if we ended up doing field trips together, if there was these other things we did together, we would go back and we would tell the stories of our friendship together. It's just how we are as humans. I'll give you an example, my buddy Jason Cousins. Connected with my buddy, my pyromaniac buddy, Jason Cousins. Uh, he and I became friends in junior high, and one night, Jason was spending the night at my house, and it's, you know, really late, my parents are asleep, it's like 1, 2 a.m., and, and he, you know, says with a mischievous grin, he says, hey, Mike, have you ever lit deodorant on fire? <laughs> and I'm like, duh, I'm in junior high, of course I have, right? And, and, and he says, no, 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 not the spray deodorant that you can, like, make a little flamethrower with. He's like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the stick deodorant. Have you ever done I say, oh, no, I really haven't. And many of you, I think, if I can tell by your, your oh, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> so I grab my dad's old spice, and I put it on the desk in my bedroom, and I light it on fire. And it was gorgeous just like a two, three foot high green flame, just, just pristine and beautiful. And we were like, oh. And then it melts and stays on fire. And it's running all over my desk. And, 
And I couldn't think of what else to do, so I start blowing at it to try to blow it out. And my buddy, Jason, he starts laughing at me for the futility of me trying to blow out this thing that is rapidly becoming engulfed in flame. And, and then I start laughing and can no longer blow. Uh, and so finally, we grab my, uh, my sleeping bag, the one with the NFL logos, and we jump all over the, the, the desk, and we put it out, and, and we spend the next two hours trying to clean the, the, the smoke out of there and all of the deodorant that has now hardened over everything, including the carpet, and, and there's a little black stain on the ceiling where the flame kind of licked, and, and just, that was the whole night. That was one Jason cousin story. I have one more. It was the time that he convinced me to light my hair on fire to join his club. <laughs> that was so stupid. That was so stupid. Mostly because there was no one else in the club. It was just him. And the clubhouse was in my backyard. So I, these are my Jason stories. And, now, I, I say all these things, wouldn't it be great, instead of goofy or, or thoughtless or juvenile exploits, wouldn't it be great if the stories that we would tell would be the stories like, remember, when we descended into a pit on a snowy day to slay a lion. Remember when the three of us stood against the army of the enemies of the Lord and prevailed. Wouldn't it be amazing if the, the stories that we would gather together to tell would be stories that brought glory and honor and victory to the Lord? You know, she went down to South Africa and she helped test a township for HIV so that folks could start receiving the life-giving medicines they needed, as well as education and Jesus-centered inspiration for how to keep their children and their community healthy. He made a commitment that everyone in his work office was going to be cared for specifically and individually, prayed for by name, and that at one point, whenever the time was right, he was going to invite each one to come to church so that they could experience the same radical love of Jesus that revolutionized his life. He served faithfully in the nursery again and again and again, season after season, singing and praying over babies and making sure that great care was available because so many new families kept coming to the church week in and week out. And this was such a tangible way that he could communicate the good news of Jesus to those who were searching. She went to Thailand to share Jesus' love to sex slaves in the pickup bars where they were uh, forced to work and invited them to join her at the halfway house ministry where they could learn a trade and live in freedom and find their value restored and their dignity re-gifted to them by the overwhelming love of a God who created them and who has a purpose for their lives. Friends, these are not fictional stories. These are real stories about the people that you're sitting around right now. You are in the midst of heroes. You're surrounded by legacy makers, legacy builders. And the challenge is that we have our eyes open to that. We recognize how powerful it is for us to rely on the strength that we have from God and then to make great things happen in the world. Uh, one of the quotes that I found this week, uh, my man uh, Kevin sent this to me from Shannon L. Alder, says, Carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. A legacy is etched into the minds of others and the stories they share about you. So you're called to be a legacy builder. 
And you've got just this one life to live. And as great as an epic a life of, that David lived, that he only had the one life. It says this in 1 Chronicles 29, 26. David, son of Jesse, was king over all Israel. He ruled over Israel 40 years, seven in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. His son Solomon succeeded him as king. The whole point of this, and you might just want to circle, it's right in the middle of that passage. It's the two words, he died. He died. And that's true for everyone who ever lives. This is true for you. You're going to die, and I'm going to die. Aren't you glad you came to church today? As Tony Campolo famously said once, he says, you're going to die. They are going to drop you in the ground and go back to the church and eat potato salad. (laughs) That is inevitable, right? We know this is going to happen. And so the big question, the overwhelming question is what kind of legacy are you going to build? What are you going to do with this one life that you have to live? You see, life is a preparation for eternity. And so what are people, what are your family members, what are your friends going to say about you after you're gone? More importantly, what is God going to say about you? Look at this verse from Acts 13, 22. Um, This is such a, a powerful thing because it communicates what God says about David. This is God's testimony. Uh, It says, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. So this is God's voice testifying concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Friends, how would you like that on your tombstone? Not maybe the the kind words of your spouse, although that would be great. Not maybe the kind words of your children or your family members or your workmates, your friends. Those would be great as well. But what about having God's words on your tombstone? This is the woman who did everything I wanted her to do. This is the man who did everything I wanted him to do. See, those are powerful words. And if we can get those in our mind right now, they will drive the legacy that we're building. You know, one of the exercises I'd like to give, and you could just write this down in the margin somewhere to do tonight, maybe tomorrow in your quiet time, is I, I would encourage you to write a short epitaph for yourself. What is it that you want people to know about you? Is it just where you lived when you were growing up? Is it just, uh, you know, what you did for a career or, or you know, so, sort of the, the, the monuments of she lived here, she did this, this is what she accomplished? Or would you like it to be more rich, more meaningful? Would you like it to be the kind of epitaph which shows people that you drew your strength from the Lord, that you knew that he was the source of all of your strength, that he was guiding your steps, bringing purpose and meaning into your life? So I I would encourage you, write your own epitaph this week, and may it contain elements of living heroically and finding strength in God. If you're filling in the blanks, the next one is this. Legacy builders sacrifice together. Legacy builders sacrifice together. And if you think about the story of David, you know that David wanted his legacy, as a part of his legacy, David wanted to build a temple for Israel. He wanted to build a temple for the Lord. Uh, and, and so that Israel could worship the Lord there. 
But God said, no, your, your hands, and this is true as you read through David, as many of you have read through the life of David this summer, you know that he, his hand was often turned to battle. It was often turned to war. Uh, it, it, he had so, you know, so many lives had been lost sort of at his hand because he was doing what he was doing as king. God said, no, um, you've been a man of war. He says, your son, Solomon, is going to be a man of peace. I would like for Solomon to build the temple. I'd like for that to be his task. And, and so what did David do? David then immediately turned his thought process around, how do I set my son Solomon up to win in this task? How can I possibly do everything in my strength and my power, use the voice that I have, so that Solomon, like, like handing a baton to the next runner in the leg of a race. David thought, I want to pass this over to my son Solomon. And so what did David do? Immediately he began to call the nation to sacrifice so that all the resources for Solomon could be there. And not only did he call the nation to sacrifice, but David modeled what this sacrifice was. He's the one who led the way in terms of self-sacrifice. There's a really cool chapter. If you want to read 1 Chronicles 21, it talks about how David needs to build an altar to the Lord because he needs to seek forgiveness for something else. And Again, I just want to say this again. We, we talk about the life of David not because it's a life of perfection, but because even when he stumbled, even when he messed up pretty hardcore, immediately he turns back to the Lord. Immediately he repents, course corrects, goes back to the Lord. This is what he's doing one more time. And he goes and he wants to build this altar on a man named Aruna's land. And as he comes to Aruna and starts talking to him, Aruna says, you know, kind of the landowner and the, and the farmer, He's now meeting with the king. He says, King David, I, I want to give you my land. Let me give you this land. Let me give you my barns. Let me give you my, my herds so that you can sacrifice there. I would love to, to, to you know, donate all of this to you. And David says, no, I, I cannot receive this as a gift. Look what he says. First Chronicles 21, but da- King David replied to Aruna, no, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. So David gave Aruna 600 pieces of gold in payment for the threshing floor. So David pays handsomely for this. He buys the land, the barn, the threshing floor, the oxen, and he does this. And you can imagine that the story of David not wanting to sacrifice to God that which costs him nothing, it goes like wildfire around Israel. People are in love with David's heart because David, David's heart is in love with the Lord. And, and, and so then it was with great um, integrity that David could challenge the nation of Israel to also sacrifice because he was willing to do the exact same thing. And by the way, if you read the next chapter, you'll see that that location that David purchased, it becomes the location of the temple. This is the Temple Mount location that David purchases to to build this altar to the Lord. And so David challenges God's people to sacrifice together. He recognizes that all things are from God. Therefore, everything we can offer to God has already come from God's hands. We read this in 1 Chronicles 29, 12. Wealth and honor come from you. This is David speaking. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. But who am I, he says, and who are my people, that we should be able to give as generously as this? 
Everything comes from you, and we have given to you only what comes from your hand. And we need to ask ourselves this question, friends. What does it look like for us to sacrifice for the Lord? What does it look like for us to reprioritize our time, to reprioritize our, our finances? What does it look like to reprioritize even our agenda and the pursuits that we go after? What, what does this look like for us in order to be a part and, and to be participating in sacrificing with, with full hearts and willing hearts toward the Lord who gives us everything first? You know, it's been said, and I, I have shared this quote with you before, it's been said that one of the problems with the American church, one of the problems with American Christianity is not that they are unwilling to sacrifice everything for the Lord. It's that they're unwilling to sacrifice anything. And friends, that's not who we are. That's not the journey we're on. We, we want to be a part of a journey that becomes more gracious and more generous. We want to be part of a journey that offers more and more and more back to the Lord. Why? Because we are so blessed by all that he's poured out over us. Right, so, so we recognize that if, if we're going to be the legacy builders that God's calling us to be, yes, we want to make sure that we recognize that all of our strength comes from the Lord. But we also want to be willing to sacrifice together so that he can receive the greatest amount of glory and honor and praise. This last fill-in here, legacy builders focus on Jesus. They focus on Jesus. And this is a little bit of, a, of an elbow turn. It's a little bit of a, of, of a left here because... What we see is David setting the expectation for Messiah. Now we have the honor of focusing on the Messiah directly. So David comes before Jesus, about a thousand years before the arrival of Jesus onto the scene. And yet in so many ways, he was a forerunner for Jesus. And so this is what it says in Acts 13. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep he was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. I do want you to, to focus on that first phrase for a second. David served God's purpose in his own generation. You might want to circle that. I would love for that to be said about me. I would love, as you think about your legacy, that you would think that maybe that could be said about you, that you serve God's purpose in your generation. That's, that's a beautiful, beautiful way for us to live. So David served God's purpose in his own generation. He died. He was buried with his fathers. His body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. See, we talked about David being a man with feet of clay. He was flesh and blood. He was a man after God's own heart. But he was the forerunner of God's perfect son, Jesus, who is God's own heart, who came to forgive and save. And so the idea of a legacy that we get to build is a legacy that focuses on Jesus, the one who chose the cross so that my sin and my guilt and my shame could be forgiven and cleansed. And the same is true for you, so that our brokenness might be healed, so that we might live a life in relationship of love with the God who created us, who saved us, who calls us to stand with him now and in this relationship that lasts forever and ever, all because of the person of Jesus, all because of the way he reveals perfectly God's heart to us. 
David does a great job. As a, as a human being, he does a great job. Yeah, he sins horribly, but he pursues God magnificently. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful, kind of a real picture that we can look, oh, that's, yeah, I can, I can do that, right? And then Jesus comes. He's perfect theology. He's the perfect revelation of God's heart. Perfect. The image, right? Visible image of the invisible God. This is who we have in Jesus. And David is that forerunner. He's that, that person that points us ahead. To Jesus. Jesus, by the way, is often referred to in the scripture as the son of David. Right? So the idea of the same legacy, the, the same trajectory here. I say all that because I want you to focus on Jesus. I want you to think about how intently we can focus on him in order to craft the legacy that God wants us to build. In our home, we, we are pretty nutty about the Olympics when they come on. So when the Olympics come on, we, we end up kind of doing a bunch of Olympic, you know, event watching as a family. I'm just curious, show of hands, how many of you guys like the Olympics when they roll around? Oh, so yeah, many, many of us. So here's the thing. Um, I, I just read two weeks ago, Usain Bolt ran his last race. So he's officially retired. You might know the name, Usain Bolt. He, he was, during his career, the fastest man alive. That's not a bad title. I mean, if you're into something like that, you know, fastest man alive. That, that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I was thinking about Michael Phelps, right? Watching Michael Phelps' career. He, he's not a human. He's a merman. A merman. Like 28 medals. He, he's, the, he's the most decorated Olympian in history since ancient Greece, right? Like that, that, that's amazing to me. And I read that one of his races that he got a gold medal for, he won by one one-hundredth of a second. <laughs> Can you imagine coming in second? <laughs> one one-hundredth of a second you get beat by Michael Phelps. For the rest of your life, you're telling people, yeah, I, I came in second. I was like one one-hundredth of a second. You know how fast that is? I was like, like, like it's, he, he, he touched, I touched, like, like so so close. I was right there. And you're telling that story again and again, and the other person's like, yeah, I, I still don't recognize you. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> so close, right? Now think about this. 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Friends, this is how to build a great legacy. This is what it's all about. We use this challenge of a life of faith that we will live consistently in love with Jesus all of our days. The challenge is that we will follow and obey, that we will pursue with faithfulness and with steadfastness, with integrity, recognizing that life is a journey. My challenge is that we would journey focused on Jesus. Remember, friends, that this race of faith that we're running, it, it is in so many ways a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's one foot in front of the other. It's one day after the next. And I really was thinking, in fact, I want to be really honest. This doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while, I will wake up and I will feel like God has given me some words so before I even get out of bed, I'll be thinking about, you know, some words, a couple of paragraphs. And so this happened Thursday morning, I believe it was this week. And so I got up and I wrote 
I wrote some things down. I felt like God had stirred on my heart. I'll just read it to you. To build an excellent legacy, to live an excellent life, you need to make a choice. Make the choice that sends you on the trajectory of excellence. And then make the next choice and the next choice. Choice after choice. Make them consistently. An excellent life is one of a myriad choices, most of which are done in private, many of which are made in an instant. But each choice you make needs to be similar to the last choice you made. Choose to do the right thing. Choose to go after the greater glory. Choose delayed gratification. Choose not to self-indulge. Choose to love. Choose to act. Choose to steward well. Choose family. Make these choices again and again and again. Eventually, they become habit. Seasons of habit mold character. A lifetime of character builds your legacy. This doesn't mean that we'll never wrestle. The struggle towards selfishness or pride, the lure of pleasure or indulgence, these things are common and real in the human experience. But lasting joy and peace, these are the product of a thousand choices for excellence. These are the product of fixing our eyes on Jesus. King David made the decision to turn and return to God. He made this decision often when he was alone and when he was with friends and when he was with his army, when he woke up in the morning, when he had trouble sleeping at night, when he was feeling joyful, when he was feeling stressed, when he was living in integrity, and when he had just demolished his integrity with sin. Always, David turned and returned to the Lord. And so the exploits of his men point in that direction. And the baton that he passed Solomon points in that direction. And the conscience of a nation itself is turned in that direction because of the legacy of a lifetime of excellent choices toward God. Friends, this is a legacy that we can build. It's not a legacy of perfection, but it's a legacy of source. In other words, we know the source of our joy. We know the source of our peace, the source of our strength, and the source of our salvation. And so we continue to turn and return to the source of all these things in the person of Jesus Christ. But it is like a marathon. It's one foot in front of the other. It's take the next step and the next step and the next step. It's make the next choice and the next choice and the next choice. A few years ago, I was training for a marathon, getting ready to run the Portland Marathon. And whenever I make a commitment to do something like that, I tend to be pretty diligent and disciplined about getting my miles in as, as I prep toward the day of the race or the event. And so, so I knew that on this one day, it was a Friday, and, and this was literally, it was about five years ago, it was on a Friday at this time of the year, I had a 12-miler that I needed to get in. And so I headed out on my 12-mile run, and I'm about six, maybe just a little over six miles in, and suddenly I noticed the time, and I remembered that on this particular Friday, my buddy Dean had invited me to go with him to a Seattle Seahawks preseason game. Now, by the way, I am the only pastor on staff who will receive tickets to the Seattle Seahawks, uh, just in case you're looking to ask anyone. At our church, I, I, I will make that sacrifice for my team. <laughs> so, I, but I noticed the time, and I realized that the time that I needed to connect with Dean in order for us to make the game was right about now. My wife will tell you this happens to me quite regularly. <laughs> and so I immediately began 
to step it up. And I began, my mind was like swirling, like how can I contact Dean or how can I hitchhike and get a ride home or, you know, I, I just uh, every sort of possibility for immediately getting home and, and instead all, all I could do was just kind of step it up and focus in and I finished the last five plus miles more rapidly than I even knew was possible. And I made the game that night. I know some of you are like, whew, okay, good. But here's the point. I, I, I had a clear focus, and the goal was immediately sweet. There, there was this beautiful payoff. And so it enabled me to run in a way that I was not previously running. Now, I want you to read this verse, which says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The deepest call on your life is that you will be a legacy builder for Jesus. The deepest call the most enduring purpose of your life is to build a legacy that points to Christ. In fact, I, I want to be really clear as we wrap this up. It's not even the question, are you going to build a legacy? Because you will build a legacy. You will pass on something to the next generation. People will remember the impact that you make on their life. The question is not, are you going to build a legacy? The question is, what kind of legacy? What kind of quality do you want to build? Do you want to build the legacy that lets people know my strength came from the Lord? Do you want to build the legacy that says, you know what, I was free to sacrifice to God because God gave everything first to me? Do you want to build the kind of legacy that points to the person of Jesus, that points to his love, that points to his life, that points to his sacrifice, the hope that's found in him, the forgiveness, the cleansing, the salvation that he offers us freely. Do you want your life to point to Jesus? Friends, I want us to be legacy builders like David. Why don't you do this? Why don't you stand with me right now? And we're going to pray. Why don't you bow your heads in prayer? And let's ask Jesus for help to build the kind of legacy that he's calling us to build. Jesus, one of, the, one of the thoughts I have right now is there might be somebody here who thinks it's too late for me to build that kind of legacy. So would you meet that person right now, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, wrap your arms around that person and whisper into their heart, it is never too late. It is never too late to begin to live a life of excellence for you, Jesus. It's never too late to begin to build a legacy that points people to you. And so, Jesus, we ask for your help in these things. We ask that you would allow us not only to learn these lessons from the life of David, but that we would have the courage to implement these things so that we could be men and women who consistently draw our strength from you. 
so that we could be set free from the worries, the anxieties of this world, so that we're free to sacrifice for you greatly because of all the great blessing you pour out on us. And finally, we ask that you would show us what it looks like to live a life of faithfulness, of steadfastness, but a life that points to you as the source of all of our joy, all of our hope, all of our peace. Because Jesus, you are the Lord of love. We receive your love today, and we ask for the courage to live boldly for you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.